Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. If you've just discovered this show, you may not have heard that I created a powerful tool for all my listeners. It's a five-step guide to help you on your journey to make a difference and have more impact. If you're curious, all you have to do is go to our website, caremorebebetter.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. The moment you do that, you'll receive a download link via email just a couple of moments later to unleash your inner activist and make more impact today. Well, I have a real treat for you. We are going to learn more about a greener solution to germ killing today, one that doesn't use harsh chemicals that damage ecosystems, and one that holds the power to kill viruses, including COVID-19. While most of us were busy hoarding toilet paper, Grant Morgan was hard at work democratizing access to hospital-grade biosafety tech. As co-founder and CEO of R0, he's on a quest to protect public health in the COVID-19 era and beyond, with partnerships that include over 600 school campuses. I'm going to have to ask him if my kids' school is one of those, the Dr. Phil Show, and the U.S. Olympic team. He's got quite the story to tell. Grant. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Love what you do. And there's a tremendous values alignment between what we're doing and the purpose of this show. So just an absolute pleasure and honor to be here. Well, I love it. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here. I want to start with a simple question about the statement behind your head here that we can see on, on YouTube or wherever this is streaming. But um, vision without execution is just hallucination. What does that mean to you? And why did you choose it? Yeah, this is a really meaningful quote to us. So this is actually a Thomas Edison quote. And, and I think that when you think about starting a business, it's, it's all about outcomes, like what outcomes can you achieve? And I think most startups begin as an inkling of an idea, idea or a vision. But if you don't bring that to life, if you don't actually create that view of the world that you're seeing then you don't have the ability to have, have an impact. And so for us, when we started the business at the beginning of the pandemic, we were operating like lives that were at stake and, and they literally were. So for us, we've been really proud of how fast we've been able to move as a company. That's been a huge competitive advantage for us. Um, and it's also enabled us to have a broader impact on, on more customers and, and uh, potentially save more lives. So, you know, it holds special meaning to us a, as a company and then uh, a special meaning to our mission as well. Well, far better than when we adjusted your camera for a second and it merely said execution is just hallucination, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that that would lose sight of the uh, of the, the full quote. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is a it's a quote that we live by. Yeah, I love it. So I want to get to what R0 is and how you do it. Um, I think it, there's an obvious moment in here where we're going to have a little bit of a pun where um, you had that light bulb moment. <laughs> so what was that light bulb moment for you? And really, how did you get things started? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And in fact, there are a number of light bulb moments, but I'll talk about some of the more consequential ones throughout the sort of discovery process as we were digging in and starting this business. But 
Fundamentally, R0 is a biosafety technology company, and we're modernizing a disinfection industry that's been dominated by largely commodity chemical manufacturers over the past 100 plus years. And we're doing that by taking the best in breed hospital grade uh, disinfection solutions, and we're marrying them with modern technology like data science and machine learning, like IoT connectivity and like uh, modern software experiences. And so to answer the question more directly, um, at the beginning of COVID, uh, my co-founders and I were watching the world kind of fall apart. We were seeing the, the loss of human lives globally and the uh, economic devastation that was happening as well as a result of this um, this pandemic. And, and we felt really compelled to jump in and help. And so as we were kind of thinking about what we wanted to do, uh, you know, we're all technologists at heart. And so, you know, we, we were uh, influenced a little bit by our past experiences and the things that we know um, in terms of modern technologies. But um, but we, we needed to dig in and understand uh, how disinfection has been done and where the opportunity is to make a difference. And one of the light bulb moments that we had was something that I'm sure you can relate to and, and, and probably all your listeners can relate to. But at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, everyone's wiping down their groceries in their garage and, and you know, spraying chemicals everywhere. And um, I had a quarantine box in my garage. Let's just say wood that I could forget it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And, um, and we had this light bulb moment where we realized like, look, we're still using the same archaic chemicals to disinfect and, and fight COVID in 2020. And those are the same chemicals that we were using to fight the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And, you know, in that same hundred plus years, you know, we've sent people to space, we've invented the internet, um, we've seen the proliferation of self-driving cars, and we can now land an, uh, a, a rocket on an autonomous drone boat in the middle of the ocean and reuse it. But we're still using the same archaic chemicals. And so... Um, so we we set out to really modernize this industry and we figured that look we can do disinfection more efficiently and more effectively um, than ever before if we leverage uh, uh modern technologies and, and really what it came down to was that the idea that we believe that this uh industry uh that revolves around human health uh fundamentally uh deserves to be managed with the same level of sophistication and technology that we become accustomed to in virtually every other industry and so um so we started looking at what types of technologies we want to bring to the market and uh and our chief scientist dr richard wade who has been the head of osha for over a decade he's taught at harvard and oxford um, he's a world-leading expert and kind of led us on this study of what hospitals do and specifically what do the best in breed hospitals do to prevent infections and um we discovered that you know unanimously they they all use uh, uh uvc light and you know that's just light at a very specific wavelength um, that happens to have the power to inactivate any kind of virus, bacteria, mold, and fungi. In fact, there are no known UVC-resistant microorganisms on the planet. Um, and so, uh, you know, come to find out, it's over a hundred-year-old technology. Uh, in fact, the 1903 uh, Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded to a gentleman named Niels Finsen for the use of UVC to treat lupus, and it's been used in wastewater treatment applications since the 1910s. It's been used in air and surface disinfection applications since the 20s and 30s. And, and fast forward to today, it is the gold standard in hospitals. But, um, you know, this this technology hasn't been uh, proliferated out into commercial spaces like, like schools, like restaurants, hotels, commercial office spaces. 
um, uh, to really bring that that germ fighting power um, that we know uh, works in in hospitals that you know which happen to be the most difficult environments um, and it hasn't been really adapted to all of these other spaces where it could potentially be used and you know we we love UVC not only because of its history and scientific precedent uh, proving its germicidal efficacy but also because it's chemical free. Um, you know, it's just light, so you can use it around food. Um, it's not going to leave harmful chemical residues on things, especially in, in places like uh, schools where kids might be picking up objects, putting them into their mouth. Um, and it's more efficient as well. So we can make, uh, you know, the operations of an organization more efficient and allow them to really focus on the high risk areas um, uh, and, and uh, be more, more effective with their uh, disinfection operations. So I've worked for, you know, a variety of companies in the natural channel for the past 20 plus years. And I worked with one about a year ago, just as the COVID pandemic was starting to take effect for them as well. And they had actually procured some special UVC light bulbs for their fixtures in order to turn them on between shifts. And I wondered how something like that compares to the tech that you have presently like how far different it is, or is, is yours just more comprehensive? Like how does that compare? Yeah, that's a great question. So our first product, Arc, is a mobile UVC disinfection device that can disinfect a thousand square foot room in under seven minutes. And it's got wheels. So you can wheel it around to different rooms, um, which means that, you know, you don't ostensibly don't have to buy as many of these fixtures, um, you know, for every room, you can actually have this mobile piece of equipment that trails your normal janitorial or, or custodial workflow. But Fundamentally, the UVC that that arc emits, um, the wavelength of light that it emits is probably the same exact thing as uh, what you're describing. One of the benefits of using our product is is not just the mobile aspect of it, but also the angles that we can that we can get and expose more surfaces to. So we can expose surfaces that are you know at angles or or straight up. If it's an overhead light, you might only get like the top of of certain surfaces, but fundamentally, it's the same disinfection mechanism. What's interesting is we actually have a, a number of new products that we're coming to market with um, that are a little bit different. So one of them is actually an LED powered product. Think of it as kind of a fixture that bolts to your wall and creates a beam of UVC across the top of the room where people don't interact with it. And then when people breathe, that hot air uh, or that air that they're breathing is hot and it naturally rises into this beam of UVC um, gets disinfected. And by the time it cools and comes back down to the room where you can breathe it, it's safe. Um, and so we can add 16 to 32 air changes, air changes per hour to, to a room without incurring the cost of, um, you know, modifying the central HVAC system. And, you know, we can do disinfection of air in occupied rooms in real time. And so the LED powered nature of that product is, is unique it'll be the first LED powered product on the market, which means, you know, A, it's more energy efficient uh, in the same way that, you know, most LEDs, uh, you know, and other industries are are more efficient as well. Um, it's also 99% recyclable. Um, so we can reuse the components uh, once the, the LEDs are at the end of their lifespan. Uh, so that has a carbon footprint and a sustainability advantage as well. But the other thing about LEDs is, is they have unique characteristics in that you can turn them on and off unlimited times without harming the useful lifespan of, of the device. Whereas with traditional UVC, um, they're essentially fluorescent light bulbs. And every time you turn them on and off, you, you steal a little bit of time from their useful lifespan. And so um, LEDs allow us to only run the product when it's needed, um, and we can turn it on and off unlimited times. 
Um, it also allows us to dim and brighten the light uh, to really right size it for the room so we can maximize efficacy while maintaining safety um, in really any size room. We have another product that's coming out that's yet a different form of UVC, but this particular form of UVC is called Far UV, which it's basically shorter wavelength uh, UVC light that is not harmful to human skin and eyes. And so the implications of that are you can do continuous air and surface disinfection in occupied rooms where people can be exposed to the light. So it's going to be game-changing and I believe one of the most consequential medical discoveries of our lifetime when we look back at it in, in 15, 20 years from now. So uh, really, really excited about it. But very, you know, our first product emits the same type of light as the fixtures that you've seen and the other two products uh, that we're releasing here very soon are slightly different but have advantages in their own ways, but fundamentally work in the same way in that they disrupt the DNA and RNA of, of various different microorganisms. So you have me thinking about a couple things here, but first I want to go back to that LED system. So when I'm considering LEDs, I'm and you know, you're talking about it being kind of at the top of a room. So maybe it's it's pointing in as opposed to down. So you're not getting you know, hit with the UVC rays. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So almost like the lighting you would see when you're in an airplane and they have that kind of top lit when you come in like yeah, that. Yeah, similar to that. And there's actually like a baffle, we call it a baffle on the bottom. And it's, you know, a, a you know, probably 24, 26 inch long kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, barrier at the bottom of the device that makes sure that no light scatters down into the room where, uh, where people occupy. So you might get reflective light from the ceiling, but that wouldn't be UVC, right? Yeah. So we actually do uh, we do measurements when we install these, um, and certain ceilings are more reflective than others. But we take that into account and we tune the output um, to account for that to make sure it's safe. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the second has to do with this newer technology where it's a different wavelength. So you're talking mm -hmm. about UVC short wave. Did mm -hmm. I get that correct? Yeah. And so basically because the waves are shorter, they don't penetrate the skin the same way. They don't penetrate mm -hmm. the eye the same way. They don't degrade your vision or your skin health. Exactly. But do they also positively impact like vitamin D or something along those lines? I know there's all sorts of solariums all over Scandinavia for the winter months. So I'm just curious if there's... Yeah. No, that's a great there. question. That's a great question. And, and um, short answer is no. Um and the reason why is because of what you mentioned at the beginning, you nailed it. So this wavelength of light is 222 nanometers. It can't penetrate the top layer of, of everyone has a layer of dead skin. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's a couple of microns thick on the top of your, um, uh, you know, on the, on the outside of your skin. And it mm -hmm. can't penetrate that. It also can't penetrate the tear layer of your eye. Um, so mm -hmm. it actually never interacts with any like live human tissue. Um, and, and therefore you, you wouldn't expect it to provide any sort of like vitamin D, uh, benefits, but, um, it, you know, it's purely germicidal, but it's, you know, not powerful enough to penetrate your top layer of, of skin and, and your tear layer on your eye, but it is powerful enough to penetrate the cell walls of tiny microorganisms, uh, and, and disrupt them and prevent them from replicating, prevent them from infecting humans and, and ultimately, uh, uh, you know, uh, providing germicidal efficacy to really any room. Okay, well, maybe this is getting too sci-fi, but I also question whether the germs will eventually evolve to be able to survive it. Um, I know they all mutate, just like um, just like we do, ultimately, continually changing and adapting as you know time goes on. 
Yeah. So theoretically speaking, I mean, never say never, but theoretically speaking, um, there, there should not be mutations that, uh, that make microorganisms resistant to UVC, um, because of the physical mechanism by which it works. So essentially the UVC light has, um, it has energy, enough energy to, um, really excite the, the bonds between, um, uh, different DNA, uh, the, the nucleic acids in your DNA and RNA. And it actually uh, will, it, it, it's at the resonant frequency of, of those bonds and it will actually break them apart and then create new bonds in adjacent uh, 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 nucleic acids. And so if you think about the cell replication process, which is fundamentally how people get infected and how, um, how these uh, germs proliferate, um, they you know, will unzip the double helix in your DNA and then they'll copy the, the sequence. And if, it's been, if that DNA has been disrupted by UVC, um, it can't actually, like the, the sequence isn't valid to be replicated. And so unless the physical properties of nucleic acids <laughs> change, um, you know, theoretically, there shouldn't be any sort of UVC resistance, uh, you know, possible. Okay. Well, that's at least uh, some assurance as well. So I, I have peeked around your website a bit. I mean, it really looks like this giant, bright, curving bulb on two sides, probably about, I don't know, three and a half or four feet tall that you would wheel from one room to the next. How logistically does someone manage it that's working to clean an office space or a school? Do they mm -hmm. turn it on and off when they're entering or exiting the room? Like how hot does it get? I'm just, I don't know. It had me thinking all of these things like, uh, does it get too warm to the touch? Do I have to turn it off, move it to the other room and then turn it back on or have it on a timer? Like, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, and, uh, you know, this is something we get in pretty much every single interaction with customers. Cause it's something that people haven't seen outside of a hospital setting. So, um, it's actually a little bit bigger, uh, than what you, what you might think based on the pictures, but it's about six and a half feet tall. Oh, wow. Um, and okay. it has eight, <laughs> uh, giant light bulbs on it. Um, and, yeah. uh, the light bulbs each are about five feet long and yeah, so they go up and down kind of like vertical, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vertical. And then they have reflectors behind them that helps distribute that light evenly and intensely throughout the room. But, um, you know, we thought a lot about the exact questions that you're asking, you know, who's going to be using this and how can we make this as mobile and, and convenient and, uh, you know, uh, user centric as possible. And so we spent a lot of time with our end users and the operators of these devices and, and really profiled, um, you know, thought about like, who is the average, uh, average user. And, um, you know, when, uh, you know, one of the personas that we designed for was, um, the average housekeeper, um, and housekeeper in, in a hotel environment, um, on average is, uh, you know, five foot three, um, female, uh, who's also wheeling around a, a, a big, uh, heavy, um, uh, housekeeping cart, uh, doing their normal, uh, procedure. But so we, we wanted to make it super easy to push around and, you know, you can actually attach it to the housekeeping cart. Mm -hmm. uh, the handles are about the same height as the housekeeping carts. Um, so it's, it's a really sort of easy device to, to, to move anywhere. And so the way we think about this is it kind of trails the typical custodial or janitorial, um, workflow. And so um, in a school, for example, you might have a, a custodian coming in at night and, you know, they're going in and they have a certain procedure. They empty the trash cans. They might wipe down some 
um, some surfaces uh, with either soap and water or, or used to be disinfectants. But the last thing they do is they wheel our device into the room. You plug it into a wall, you set a timer and you hit go. And um, there's a 30 second countdown that allows you to leave the room. And um, if you're not out of the room by the time that 30 second countdown completes, it actually won't turn on. It has sensors around the top to make sure that uh, the, whatever room it's in uh, is completely empty uh, by the time it needs to turn on. And then also if somebody walks in mid cycle, it'll automatically turn itself off as well. But fundamentally, um, you know, you turn it on, you can run it for, you know, five to seven minutes, typically in a classroom. And that custodial team member will actually go to the next room and start emptying the trash cans and wiping down surfaces and tidying things up, whatever their normal procedure is, while ARC is running in the room next door. So they can be productive um, and, and be very efficient with their operations. Um, and then, you know, once they're done with that next room, they just walk back into the other room, uh, unplug it and, and move it back into the new room, plug it in, set a timer, hit go. But the other thing that's kind of magic about the device and, and novel, and this is where you know the, the modernization of this industry comes in, is we actually embedded a bunch of IoT capabilities into the device. So it's got an LTE chip um, uh, similar to the one that's in your in your phone. And so when you use it, it actually generates data automatically about where it's used, when it was used, how long it was run for, things like that. And emits that data to our cloud offering where we can then report on it uh, via our software to our customers. And so, um, you know, not only does that help with sort of execution uh, inspection, so like did the, the protocol get followed uh, according to plan, um, but it also has gone a really long way in, in our customers uh, uh, reestablishing trust with their patrons. And so we've seen our customers actually share the data to articulate to their you know, patrons, stakeholders, guests, customers, employees, whatever, that they have invested in um, hospital-grade UVC technology uh, to, keep their, uh, to keep their space safe. And they've actually seen, a lot of our customers have actually seen you know, employee engagement go up and people be more comfortable coming back into the office. Um, we've seen you know, businesses like mom and pop restaurants, for example, um, see a boost in business, you know, the weekend following the announcement of, of, uh, using our technology and things like that. So, you know, that's been a really nice, uh, uh, you know, welcome auxiliary impact. And I think it speaks to the fact that there's this sort of lingering psychological scar tissue in the eyes and the minds of the public. And, uh, you know, people don't want to go back to normal. They want to go, uh, back to a newer, safer, healthier, uh, uh, normal. Um, and, and, you know, we're here to help usher that in. Well, I think my gym could use uh, your <laughs> technology. There, you know, they have their color coded system for the last time that this area was cleaned, but it's not necessarily the same way we're talking about right now. I know they do use a UVC tool at night after the gym is closed, but imagine the number of people that gone through all day, <laughs> including myself, yeah. and sweating and breathing hard, and mm -hmm. you know, yes, wearing a mask now because that's a requirement, but. Um, it's just a different world. So yeah, having a little bit of that assurance is, is really key. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. And there's two, I have a kind of a funny slash gross, interesting anecdote uh, about gyms. Um, when our device gets run, um, you know, you can actually smell it when you come back into a room and, and it smells a little bit like before or after a lightning storm. Um, there's that kind of like clean, crisp uh, smell in the air. But what that is, is the UVC will actually break down um, uh, keratin, which is, um, 
which is the uh, the most prevalent uh, particulate Dust. matter in the right. air. Yeah, so it's it's actually like dead skin, dead hair mm-hmm. um, happen to be the most prevalent uh, things floating around. And um, what's funny is is that keratin has uh, like a sulfur compound in it, and and the bonds uh, uh, in that compound break. And so uh, for gyms, the smell is actually more intense. It's a it, it actually smells good. Uh, um, it's not problematic at all. But uh, for for gyms where people have been sweating and breathing heavy and stuff, the uh, the smell is a little bit more intense. Funny enough, but um, hmm. uh, but then you know the the other point you bring up. I think is is super important, but um, you know I think that historically disinfection has been this sort of like invisible process, right? Like it happens when nobody's there, generally at the end of the day or at night. Um, it happens on a microscopic scale, um, so you know the disinfection is actually happening, you know, to to tiny little microorganisms. Um, and then on top of that, like the the execution inspection has never been there, so it's traditionally it's like somebody signing their name on a log, you know, piece of paper and a clipboard. Um, you know, attesting that they did something, but like, you don't really know, like, did they even show up, let alone, you know, what did they do, let alone how well did they do it? And, uh, you know, we're, we're injecting some of that uh, deterministic um, sort of credibility through, through data um, uh, to, to the process. And, and one way we kind of talk about it is we're creating this sort of auditable trail of disinfection activities hmm. that happen throughout a space. Yeah, I mean, they ask us each to pick up a bottle of peroxide and a towel, spray down every piece of equipment that we use, let it sit for a minute or two before using it, and then follow up with the same thing. Yep. And, and try getting your like weightlifting burn on with that <laughs> is it's kind of ridiculous. It cramps your style. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. What yeah. ends up happening, like uh, the gym rats, including myself, we have adapted our workout conditioning and we will basically master two machines at once. And everybody has kind of just accepted that. Yep. who is there every day. They're like, oh, yeah, that person's working that circuit because they have to keep the burn on. And so we've all just kind of adapted in our own small ways to to maintain our yeah. workout the way we want it, which that's, is... Um, that's funny. I, I'm glad Without saying glad. anything. Like, none of us have discussed it. It's yeah. just somehow... <laughs> understood that because this is how we have to do it we're all doing it that way yeah yeah i mean people people will adapt and i think that's awesome and innovative um one thing i wanted to call out too though is i mean you you mentioned peroxide one problematic piece of of disinfection historically is like the 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 human hazard element of it as well so if you think about like spraying disinfectants on a on a surface or from a spray bottle um, or worse, through an electrostatic sprayer, for example, um, you're you're aerosolizing a lot of chemicals. And um, mm-hmm. in fact, there are a ton of studies that show that occupational exposure to these chemicals causes serious uh, respiratory issues, like uh, like COPD or asthma or or, um, or otherwise. But um, you know, we're 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 breathing in a lot more chemicals than we used to uh, over the past two years because of the the proliferation and use of them. Um, but it's it's not particularly good for us, especially I mean, at a gym or or when we're breathing heavily as well. But um, you know, it's not going to kill you on the spot. But over time, it's it's something that we we should we should get away from and and, and try to minimize. Yeah, I was just thankful it wasn't Lysol that they were using. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I have if you to can say smell... like Clorox bleach and Lysol, like those are two things that I mean, I want to run from. Yeah, just... yeah, exactly. And it, I think they're you know they're 
they're harmful to humans. They're harmful to the environment. They're harmful to the surfaces uh, that you're that you're disinfecting. And um, you know, the good good news is that there are better ways to do it. Um, and you yeah. know, chemicals. I mean, will probably have a place, a time and a place in in uh, uh, in certain applications for the foreseeable future. But um, but we do definitely do not need to use the same amount of chemicals um, and and even the same types of chemicals that we have uh, in the past. And I think you know there's there's better ways to do things like like UVC and uh, you know getting smarter about the use of those chemicals to try to minimize them and and just really understanding like what what the options are and and uh, and trying something a little bit different. But not only will it help the human health, uh, you know, uh, within that building, but also the, the carbon footprint is massive on these chemicals. So they're all consumable. So think about they're getting made at some factory somewhere. Uh, generally, uh, some of them have uh, petroleum products uh, that are used in the uh, production of these chemicals. And then you're shipping liquid, you know, across the, the country, across the world, um, you know, repeatedly, uh, because you need to replenish these things. And um, mm -hmm. we actually, we actually did um, a study, we hired a third party uh, to do an objective study about the carbon footprint of of our our products, and then compare that to chemicals as well. And we, um, you know, they determined that we actually produce 217 times less waste um, than uh, than chemical disinfection, and um, are about 250 times less harmful uh, than than chemical disinfectants as well. So it was really refreshing to hear that from a third party. I mean, anecdotally and intuitively, like we know that you know, what we're doing is, is, is safer and, and more, uh, friendly for the planet. But, um, but, uh, it was really good to see a, a third party kind of, uh, dig deep and, and, uh, and, and come back with those results. Uh, it's something we're really, really proud of. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. This comes to another one of my big questions, which was really the how of everything, right? Sure. It's more green chemically. We get that right out the gates than other solutions because you're not, utilizing all these chemicals that can have a negative impact on our heart or our lungs or our tissues or, 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 right? But it must use quite a lot of energy. So how can you, how do you measure that and the difference there um, so that people can have a real true faith in the fact that they may be doing less harm if they aren't already purely electric and they're electric coming from renewable resources? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that, um, the, you know, the third party study that I just mentioned, um, actually took that into account, looked at the energy oh, consumption. Great. So our product, uh, arc actually uses, it consumes about as much power as a hairdryer or a mi microwave. And so, um, the good news is, you know, for a thousand square foot room, you only need to run it for, you know, five to seven minutes. Um, so it's, it's highly efficient, but it is pulling a lot of power when, uh, when you do use it in aggregate, it's significantly less than say the power uh, consumed to, uh, you know, manufacture these chemicals. And so, although, you know, you don't plug a, a spray bottle into the wall necessarily, um, uh, it does cost a lot of, uh, they'll it, come up with that later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's their idea of innovation, I guess. The, the glade plug it in COVID solution. Exactly. Like that. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 uh, I, I wonder if that's on the roadmap somewhere for, for one of these chemical companies, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, I think that the I amount mean, I want of, to talk about toxic, those are related to asthmas and lung conditions they? and, and, and yes, oh, yes. I would imagine. They're like one of the most toxic things you can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and one of the big, one of the big things for us too, is like, I mean, one, another light bulb moment, um, you know, going back to your original question was like, look, we're humans are an indoor species. We spend 90 plus percent of our lives indoors and, you know, uh, uh, the implications of that are 
that the indoor environments where we do spend our, our, our time, our, our, whether it be our homes, office, uh, the gym, um, really anywhere we go, uh, those places in, in, the, in the health and hygiene of those places have a massive impact on our overall health. And um, you know, studies have shown that um, indoor air quality is uh, up to five times worse than, than outdoor air uh, in a lot of cases. And so um, you know, one of the crazy things is like we, we, we disinfect and we, and we filter our water, but we don't do the same thing to the air that we breathe 18 to 20,000 times a day. Um, and, and we think that you know, there should be even standards around you know, indoor air quality. And, and I think that um, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic has really highlighted um, you know, the impact of indoor air quality on, on human health. And um, you know, we think that now is the time um, now that we have this societal awareness that we've never had before um, of that relationship between indoor spaces and human health, um, we think now is the time to kind of step our game up and, and establish a new standard um, and, and reap the benefits for decades to come. Wow. So I'm curious about what you did before you started R0, because, I mean, I just, it seems like you're living, breathing, eating this stuff, which I imagine you're enjoying doing. It's very fulfilling. You're growing quickly. You're in over 600 institutions now. Um, but what, what preceded this? Like what led to this moment? Yeah. So it, it's, I'm glad you asked because this, this whole experience has been this interesting alignment of the stars. It's, it's kind of a, an amalgamation of my own past experiences and, um, and, and people that I've met through my journey. And, um, you know, I started my career in medical device and pharmaceutical manufacturing, and um, I worked for a, a 90,000 person healthcare company uh, straight out of college. And I was a mechanical engineer by training. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, I loved the altruistic aspect of being in the healthcare industry, knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, whatever I was working on, um, you know, was going to uh, 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 going to potentially improve or uh, somebody's life or, or, or even save somebody's life. And, um, you know, I left, I ended up leaving that industry to, to start my first tech company. And it wasn't in the healthcare space. And, and since then, I've really missed that altruistic aspect of, you know, what I do. At my first company, I met my two co-founders, actually. Ben Boyer was actually on my board at my first company and someone that I always looked up to, respected, and, and wanted to figure out how to work with uh, in the future. Never thought it would be in the capacity of him, you know, leaving the VC world, which he's done for the last 20 years and jumping ship to, to operate uh, a company with me. He was somebody that uh, developed a great relationship with and a tremendous amount of respect for. And then that same company, we did on-demand technical services. So we started with iPhone repair and we had a network of you know, 15, 20,000 technicians all over North America and Europe. And if you broke your phone, we'd, you'd press a button and we'd send somebody out to you to, to fix it. Um, ended up branching out into IoT, smart home installation and other types of on-demand technical services. And along the way came uh, my other co-founder, Eli, who was at DJI, the drone company. He was running international BD for them and, and he uh, came and pitched the idea of a drone repair program mm -hmm. uh, where our technicians would go out and fix uh, DJI drones. And, you know, the, the program never materialized, but, um, but we became fast friends and he was one of those people along the way where, you know, you keep them close and always try to figure out how to work together in the future. And, um, you know, uh, fast forward two companies from then uh, in, you know, five or six years and, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, Ben, the board member from my first company actually called me and the original idea was, hey, let's do that same thing, but for disinfection, where we would actually build a network of people to go out and provide 
uh, a, a differentiated service above and beyond what a normal custodial. So disinfection on demand. Exactly. On demand, dis- like hospital grade disinfection on demand. And so we started going down that path. And what we realized, it, you know, once we decided like UVC is it, like this is, this is the perfect solution. Um, we went to go buy a bunch of UVC devices to, to, you know, equip a network of technicians with, and we found out that they're, you know, 80 to $125,000. And so we actually thought our idea was dead in the water at that point in time. But, you know, being an engineer, or I call myself an engineer, um, I, I was looking at these, these devices. I'm like, that's a light bulb on wheels with the timer. There's like, no it's way not, it, it can't be that, that difficult to make. I could make that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I kind of fell down the rabbit hole and uh, reverse engineered it, kind of understand uh, I tried to understand like what types of components need to go into a device like this to make it work. And I, you know, back of the envelope calculation, I was like, we can make one of these for a fraction of the cost and actually sell it at a price that's accessible and fair um, for, uh, you know, for organizations of all shapes and sizes from, you know, uh, big enterprises to schools, public entities, uh, you know, the justice system, hotels, restaurants, and everything in between. And so, you know, that's really, so I called Ben back and I was like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but we're building lights. And he's like, you're nuts, but, but I'm in. Um, So, you know, that was kind of the, uh, you know, the, the genesis of, of this idea, but really this kind of, this interesting meld of like, you know, my experience as an entrepreneur starting companies specifically around technical services, IOT, smart home uh, world, and, and then also my medical device days from early in my career and the altruistic aspects of those as well, collecting people along the way. Uh, we've been fortunate enough that they've, you know, quit their, their other jobs to come uh, help build and chase this mission and turn our vision into a reality. So it's been a really interesting uh, journey and I couldn't be more grateful for, you know, past experiences and, and having these people in, uh, in my lives because none of this would be possible without, you know, every single person that's come along for the ride. Well, and incredibly quickly. <laughs> yeah. Building a company like this in the time of the COVID pandemic, I mean, it's the perfect storm. It's a perfect situation in a way because you weren't going to have that much challenge finding funding. Everybody's trying to solve the COVID crisis. And you also were able to leverage somebody who had been a partner at a VC before. So come on, you you have all the technical know-how of everything that it would take to build that quickly. How quickly were you able to come to market though? Because I mean, we're just... I mean, you're and a half in to this thing, really. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. In, in fact, looking back on it, it it's um, I, I'm I'm just shocked at how fast we were able to move. But we incorporated the company in April of 2020. We designed, developed, manufactured, and brought to market our first product, Arc, in five months. So we shipped our first product at the end of September. Um, in wow. 2020. And I mean, I wanted yeah, to cuss uh, there. I don't cuss on this podcast, but I was yeah, about, like, smokes. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's really fast to manufacture a prototype even. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was, a, I mean, it was, it was a combination of, uh, I mean, we didn't sleep very much, still haven't slept very much in the last year and a half. Um, uh, and, and again, I think it was, it was a combination of operating like there were lives at stake because there literally were. And, you know, once, you know, schools were starting to open up in 2020, you know, we were talking to some of them early on and they didn't know what to do. And they still don't know what scared. to do. Like, let's be real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You have facilities managers who are operational experts now tasked with being epidemiologists and finding, you know, solutions to keep their, their you know, their students, their staff, their teachers, faculty safe um, and, and effectively, you know, keep their community safe. And it's a lot of pressure. They don't know what to do. And And what kept me up at night was thinking like, you know, 
what if we had a school that placed an order and opened school and we had a manufacturing delay or something and they didn't get their their product for a couple of weeks beyond when they were supposed to and in that couple of weeks what if there was a coronavirus outbreak that we could have helped prevent or or contain and um that was the ultimate motivator that was a huge component of our ability to move fast and then the other piece is just having a world-class team, like people that we were able to get involved early on that really subscribe to the same mission are truly world-class. You know, I think one of our first people that we tricked into joining us is uh, my CTO, Neil Day, who he's a kind of a unicorn of a, a technologist. He's got hardware experience. He's got software experience. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been the CIO of Walmart um, and, and everything in between. And so he jumped in to help in the early days and, and we could not have done what we did without him. And he's built an incredible team. And, um, you know, our partners at bold and BC mechanical have, were, were huge as well. But, um, you know, we, we, we got a lot of people that believed in what we were doing and, and were highly motivated. And then, you know, along the way took a lot of risks as well. Yeah, I'm sure. For the most part they paid off. Um, but, uh, but I, I would not advise doing some of the things that we did at, at sort of steady state, but I think you, you have to think about what you're doing differently if you're selling disinfection equipment, potentially life-saving equipment during a pandemic. We definitely took some risks and, uh, and they paid off for us. So how far are we from a device that a family could buy for their home, in your humble opinion at this point? We're probably a couple of years out. And the only reason why is because uh, where we have the ability to make the biggest impact is places where people gather, mm -hmm. um, you know, public spaces, work, school, um, uh, these places that have uh, uh, really high population densities and also high risk. Um, you know, there's sort of the colloquial saying that, you know, school or work is often considered a Petri dish. Um, and, and that's because it's true. That's where a lot of transmission uh, of different types of pathogens happen, not just COVID, but, you know, the seasonal flu, the common cold, norovirus or the stomach flu, um, E. coli, things like that. Um, you know, these these are pathogens that are endemic to all of the spaces of, of the customers that we serve. And, and um, you know, they existed before COVID and they'll continue existing, you know, uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. And then also COVID's going to become endemic. Uh, we're going to be dealing with COVID for for a long, long time, if not forever. Um, and so, you know, we think that it's time to establish a new standard. We've lost 7 million lives uh, worldwide at this point. And I, I think shame on us if we let them die in vain. And I think that it's time for us to learn from this, come out better, healthier, stronger than we were before. When the next pandemic comes along, we'll be more prepared. And, um, you know, even if we don't, then we can actually, you know, take a big chunk out of some of the 40 million flu cases in the U.S. every year. Somehow we just accepted that that's normal, um, but we think we can do better. Well, I'd like us to do better. I'd also like to know if I can find out if my son's school has your um, systems in place or not. Is there a way to do that? You can ask me. I'm, I don't know if you want to say your son's school on, on air, <laughs> but you can ask me afterwards, but I can, I can uh, check it out. But I do know in your local area, there, there's a number of um, uh, school districts that that have uh, deployed our products. So uh, I think there's a pretty solid chance. Yeah, I know they're also getting random COVID tests at the school. So, you know, they're doing each of these things to make sure that our kids can be as healthy as possible. My husband, he works at Joby Aviation. They test all of their employees who go to office every single day and do contact tracing. So mm -hmm. pretty incredible. But I mean, a solution like this would help, I think, all of us. 
I find myself wondering if you're going to adapt the technology for things like hot tubs and swimming pools, because those seem like cesspools <laughs> themselves as well. Yeah. In fact, I think swimming pools, um, you know, there's a big industry around UV disinfection, for, uh, you know, water disinfection for, uh, for swimming pools and for like municipal, uh, you know, uh, water, wastewater yeah. disinfection and treatment um, as well. So if you go to your local, like Leslie's pool supply, you could probably find some UV disinfection equipment there <laughs> for your spa or for your, for your pool. Wow. Okay. So other better solutions, than better than chlorine by far. Yes. I'm super sensitive to chlorine, so I don't even go in our hot tub most days. Um, but it just gives me like my eyes and nose start running like nothing anyway. Yep. Yep. A lot of people have reactions like that. And it's, that's your body telling you that it's not good for you, uh, that it doesn't like it. Right. So. My body does not like chlorine. <laughs> <laughs> not even in the water, like in the shower. If I go to a hotel and a city that uses a lot of chlorine in their water, I'll just end up itchy all over. It's like mm -hmm. not a good experience for me. Yep. Well, chlorine. And there's a bunch of other stuff in there too. I'm sure. Yes. So as we prepare to wrap up, I'd like to ask you if there's a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had. Oh, that's a great question. I always ask that. So I should, I should be on my toes and ready for it. But, um, <laughs> I think what are some of the, the societal and infrastructural changes that we think will be lasting coming out of coronavirus, uh, specifically around like human health and, and, uh, and indoor environments? Am I supposed to answer it too? Yeah, I think so, <laughs> because I doubt that I could answer that better than you. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, so I, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that I, it's time to create this new standard and, and. Um, you know, we, we've seen the proliferation of sort of this, this smart building technology uh, in this, this entire industry that's kind of stood up and, and um, started to proliferate. But, you know, we believe that buildings should not only be smart, but they should be healthy as well. And we have the opportunity to reduce sick days uh, across the board for, for people and, and increase productivity uh, and, and improve human health ultimately. And, you know, I believe that germicidal lighting and biosafety technologies like, like the ones that we make will be baked into the built infrastructure of all the different uh, environments where we spend so much time. So, you know, if you think about the implications of reducing sick days for, for, um, you know, for a school, uh, that's oftentimes how they get funding is student attendance. Um, mm -hmm. It also in, impacts the quality of learning for those students as well. I read a stat the other day that said if, it, if a top 1% teacher um, with 20 years of experience misses 10 days of school, then that detriment to that class is that um, their, their quality of education would be equivalent to a teacher who's teaching for the first, uh, for the first year. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, uh, no experience. Yes. Hmm. And, um, there's, there's all these different cyclical effects that all kind of boil, boil down to, you know, what is the quality of learning for these students? And then if you think about, it, uh, like an enterprise, a large enterprise, um, you know, the, the majority of any company really spend is headcount. It's people. Um, people are the most valuable assets of a company and they are the company themselves. And so, um, you know, if you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's not in the seat because they're sick, they're not being productive, they're not contributing to, uh, to the company's mission. Um, and so, you know, there's a real ROI for that. And then if you think about the direct and indirect healthcare related expenses that are incurred from people getting sick as well, um, especially for companies that, you know, pay for health insurance or underwrite their own health insurance, there are massive, massive benefits to reducing sick days. Um, so, you know, we, we envision a world without sick days. 
one where people can uh, can trust that uh, the indoor spaces where we spend our lives are 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 safe, and they've been engineered uh, with human health and productivity at their core. And and I fundamentally believe that this is the way the world is moving, and uh, you know we're here to usher in that change. Well, I'm pleased to see it come to fruition, and I hope that I can get a similar device in my home at some point soon because. It has been one of the few things that has kept me from wanting to host the types of birthday parties that I'd like to get back to. I mean, we have a big barbecue and it's mostly outdoors, but, you know, I have aged family members that I have to be concerned about as well and don't necessarily want to be the super spreader event. Yep. Yeah. And maybe we can come up with something and you can beta test it for us. Oh, hey, I'm game. I would absolutely (laughs) beta test things on timers and such. My husband is really good at managing. We already have a reptile, so we have to set things on X10 timers and things like that too. There you go. What kind of reptile do you have? Oh, I have a bearded dragon. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she's like, she's pretty big. They're about, she's about 20 something inches long and about, I don't know, 300 grams. So I think that's about half a pound ish, you know? Yeah. So it's still fairly large. They're remarkably friendly and like and and uh, personable. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't think like a reptile has has uh, sort of uh, would show human affection, but they they do. No, she likes to nestle like right in your hair and kind of go to sleep or on your lap, and they cuddle. I'm like the dragon. I mean, they're prickly, <laughs> and she cuddles right. So I think the closest approximation for someone who may not have experience is if you've had friends who had birds like parrots and stuff. All basically on the same level. They they they're very similar in certain ways, which you just don't expect. Um, I thought, hey, I'd get this lizard for my son, and it'd be a unique experience. And okay, I'll deal with it. But I love this animal. She's amazing. Yeah, you should bring her on the podcast <laughs> next time. Yeah, you'll have to come yeah. back, and we can do a live stream and share stories of reptiles. And perhaps you'll come up with a. I don't know. I don't think they get COVID. So I think um, so far the dragons are safe. Good, good, good. (laughs) Well, is there any thought that you'd like to leave our audience with? Any closing words um, or perhaps uh, some action that you'd like them to take? Yeah, I'd say I'd say if you're interested in improving the biosafety of your indoor space, uh, come drop us a line at r0.com. So that's just r-z-e-r-o.com. No dashes, no spaces or anything. Um, come say hi and find us on LinkedIn. Follow us. We we post a lot of uh, you know any of our research or or, or different you know, blog posts or different content that you might find interesting. But um, come follow our journey and uh, and if you're interested in seeing what it might look like to get our products in your space, drop us a line on our website. And uh, otherwise, I hope everybody stays safe and uh, can uh, get back to this new normal as soon as possible. Well, thank you, Grant. This has been my pleasure. So I'd like to just invite everybody to check out your website. I will include all those details in show notes, websites you can go to, ways you can connect with Grant, including his LinkedIn profile for those that might be interested in reaching out to him directly. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Grant. Awesome. And thank you for having me. And the one last thing I'll say is, is everyone should buy your book um, <laughs> as well. So my book, yeah. I don't have a book yet. I do not have a book yet. But one day, um, that book behind me, you see Regeneration is written by Paul Hawken. And oh, I've just I been promoting the heck book. out of it. 
No, no, I would never take credit for that. It's incredible work. It's basically his entire lifetime of work in activism is basically distilled into this book on um, supporting our climate crisis and ultimately with the goal of reducing our climate uh, warming. So go back to a climate cooling perspective. It's an audacious task. He believes that we can do it in one generation. And um, yeah, I guess I'm his biggest cheerleader right now <laughs> to the point where you <laughs> thought I wrote it. I mean, yeah, wow. I, I, was a, I was a little <laughs> bit ahead uh, on on suggesting to buy your book, but I, I, I will buy it when you write it. Um, and, I'll write one uh, next. I think yeah. it'll be called Unleash Your Interactivist or something along those Perfect. lines, but that'll Perfect. be my next phase. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Grant. This has been awesome. Now, listeners, I'd like to invite all of you to act. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community. The reality is we all are a part of ending this COVID-19 pandemic. And if Grant's words can help us on that journey, then I think we should get that message out there to everyone we know. And if you're itching to make more impact yourself, be your cause a social or sustainability issue, sign up for our newsletter on caremorebebetter.com. You'll receive that five-step guide I mentioned at the top of the hour. Um, And you can always visit our action page for ideas, including causes, not-for-profits, and companies that we encourage you to support like that the grant is leading today. Thank you, listeners, now and always, for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more, and we can be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.